Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 36 of Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, the Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and joining us now, the reigning and defending Beat the TV Champ champion of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Bobby Blaze. Hey, now, thank you, man. It's good to hear from you, Professor. I'm always glad to be back here with my good friend, the Professor. Yes, reigning TV champion, for you people that don't know, on a Smoky Mountain, not heavyweight champion, because I had someone approach me last night about that, and that's not the case. But as long as Jim Cornette doesn't bring back the TV and I don't have to do a job for someone, I'll forever be the last Smoky Mountain TV champion, beat the TV champion. So anyway, man, what's going on with you? I got a couple of things to talk about real briefly, and we got something special today. Yes, we do. Uh, can I share a story real quick before we get too far into this? I don't um, know why not. <laughs> my, the other, oh, a week or so back, I was looking for that picture you sent me from Sun, Sunday Bloody Sunday. And uh, my grandson sees it, and he's, oh, what happened to him? And so I'm trying to explain <laughs> pro wrestling to him and why it would get bloody. And then a couple days go by, and, and he calls me Jeremy or Grandpa. So he goes, Jeremy, can I see that picture of your dead friend again? <laughs> oh, man, gee, thanks. <laughs> he's, not, he's not dead. He's not dead. He's okay. I talk to him every weekend. Yeah, tell him I just went to work and got in a fight, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool. I'm alive, man. I'm alive. With that said, you know what? I want to give a quick shout-out to a couple uh, people real quick. One, to FTC. They did a heck of a show last night over in Ohio, Ironton, Ohio, and I want to say from Charleston, West Virginia, Huntington, West Virginia, Ironton, Ohio, and Ashland, Kentucky, this tri-state area, I saw so many people from Ashland. It was unreal. They did a sold-out show. I was really happy about that, and I just got to get this out there. Um, some of the local talent, man, I was so proud of how they did. Um, I can't. I'm just speaking volumes for all of them. Uh, they put on a first-class show last night, and all the talent that worked within a you know hour, hour and a half from here to come in regular, everyone done a, a very, very good performance last night. And Jeremy, you're not ready for this, but I, uh, you kind of brought it up pre-taping there. I just want to say this: I got a couple of special thank yous and a big, big thank you to you, Jeremy, for the Bell to Bell Twitter play, page. Man, we've got over 1,900 people there. You put it up, you produce it, and you edit the show. This thing couldn't be done without you. I just want to say on the air, uh, personally, thank you so much for helping and taking care of this podcast and taking care of the Twitter page. And that's at Bell to Bell Blaze. If you haven't followed us on Twitter, that's the joint account. Also, I want to give a shout-out to Tex Johnson. He doesn't like those shout-outs, but I think you'll like this one because uh, the YouTube channel has over 900, and since I wrote that note, Jeremy has informed me it's over 950 subscribers. If you don't care, folks, tell a friend. Go to the YouTube page. It's tinyurl.com slash video. and I just want to say thanks to Jeremy. Thanks to Tex, and we've got a really good podcast. Uh, anything to say, Jeremy? Because I'm going to shift gears in a minute because we've got something special today. I just want to let you know I appreciate you, man. I, you know, Bobby, I, I appreciate that, and I promised myself I wouldn't cry in front of the Academy. <laughs> um, I do want to say that our Paul Orndorff video has caught freaking fire over on YouTube. 28,000 views so far. Good Lord. See, I saw it at 26,000 early this morning. That's great, guys. Keep it up. Keep it up. Remember, tinyurl.com slash BBBB video for that. 
and follow Jeremy at the Geekish Cast on Twitter. Follow me at Bobby Blaze seven forty four. And with that said, Jeremy, I'm gonna shift gears real quick and tell you a real quick story, and we'll go to someone special we got with us today. Okay? Sounds good to me. The old ICW, International Championship Wrestling, was well-known uh, here in the Kentucky area, uh, out into Missouri, out to the western part of Kentucky. They did spot shows. They did house shows. They did weekly. They had TV. It was owned by Angelo Poffo, father of uh, Leapin' Lanny, and the macho man Randy Savage. And they used to have a good little show, the Hustler Rip Rogers, Pez Watley, Bob Wharton Jr. They just did great Malenko. Had a lot of people coming there to work. You talk an outlaw, man. They had it. But um, they used to do different things around East Town. They they brought bears. They did this. They did that. But at one time, uh, the person I'm going to bring to the show is no secret. I was sitting here eating lunch one day. I was listening to the 605. Hey, Brian, last big shout-out, man. You got a wonderful, fucking awesome podcast. Keep up the good work with all you're doing over there. But um, – Man, this, I was listening to this podcast. I was like, where does he get these guests at? And he found this guy, William Harding, man, and he was talking about something I really remember. I wasn't there in Frankfurt where this gentleman's from or where it took place. I'm just going to tell you, I, I was moved by his story. And since then, I've met him in person. I think it was two years ago next month. And he is the Sugar Hold Challenge Champion. And he's going to tell you all about that. It's our very, very first guest on the show, an interview on the show. So, William, welcome to the Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze podcast. It's William Harding, folks. Thank you, Bobby. Hey, Jeremy. How hey, you doing? Doing well, William. How are you? I'm doing pretty good down here. Well, we are glad to hear it, and we are glad to have you on. So, I'm trying to think of the best way to segue into your story here. William, why don't you tell us a little bit about your relationship to wrestling, judo, and things like that? Well, um, I was born in Frankfort, Kentucky. I started martial arts the day, the day right after Bruce Lee died because they showed a lot of promos of his death that night, and that really intrigued me. And I told my mother the next day I wanted to start taking martial arts, so she took me down to the YMCA and signed me up for karate classes. And I stayed with that for a very long time. And in 1977, I started cross-training in judo. And that's what pretty much led me up to this challenge. Um, I was also a huge fan of the Olympics. We had gone through, like the 1976 bicentennial. Uh, I was very patriotic during that time. We went through the 1980 Miracle on Ice. was um, just a great story in itself. And then the ICW came along, and actually before I get to that, my father was a police officer, and he used to work the Frankfurt Convention Center, and in the early to mid-70s, uh, the Memphis group used to come up there. Uh, Jerry Jarrett, Tojo, um, Jerry Lawler, all those guys would come up there. And I had a special job there because uh, since my father was a police officer, I got to sit backstage with those guys, and I was like the official door opener for all these guys when I was about uh, 12 years old, 12, 13 years old. And it was great getting to meet all those guys, and I had a lot of special memories of that. And when the ICW came around, um, kind of tried to relive those memories. I started going to the shows and everything. And then uh, one day I'm sitting around watching television, 
there at the house in Frankfurt, and I'm watching the ICW program, and Bob Roop comes out. Now, Bob Roop is a former Olympian, 1968 Mexico City Games. He placed seventh there. He lost to the eventual gold medalist, Alexander Medved. And before that, he was an Iowa State wrestling champion in his high school senior year, had a perfect record of uh, 27-0. and 0. He was uh, Army Special Forces medic. He was in the all-Army wrestling team, all-services wrestling team. He was the Southern Illinois University. Well, he went to Southern Illinois University, um, had a 66-18 record there. He won four NAAU All-American rankings and an NAAU championship. And he started becoming a professional wrestler in 1969. And he had a pretty distinguished career um, when he joined ICW. And I, I was sitting there one afternoon. I'm watching the show. And Bob comes out with this big bag. And he sits down and, and he announces that they are going to have a thing called the Sugar Hole Challenge. And it's this particular hold that I saw him do on the show several times. And um, he opened this bag up, and he started spreading these silver dollars across the table. And he says, open challenge. Anybody can come in here and beat this hold. You win a 1,000 silver dollars. Now, this interested me on so many levels because during those years I was taking martial arts, there wasn't really a lot of tournaments or anything else that you could uh, – be part of and I was always looking for a challenge and I mean this was like the ultimate challenge I mean here was an Olympian saying hey come in here test yourself see what you can do and the first thing I did was I had to figure this whole out and this is one of the things I remembered the last two years um, back then VCRs had just come out and we didn't have one because they were incredibly expensive. So I, did, I couldn't go back and still frame it or anything. And the only other way I had captured pictures off TV was at least little 60-second Polaroid cameras, the old ones where you just take a picture and it pops out and you just wave it for a while <laughs> until the picture shows up. So so what I did is I went back to my room and I got, my, I got a notebook out and I started sketching this thing out, sketching the holdout. I'm sitting there in this leather ottoman in the living room. The show's still on, but I'm not really paying attention to it now. And I'm sketching this thing out, and I get done with it, and I'm looking at it for like 30 minutes, trying to figure out what I know to do to get it out of this hold. And eventually I'm just going, you know, damn, this is a good hold. <laughs> There's this leather ottoman in front of me, and I just I throw the sketch pad down on it. I get up, and I go to the kitchen. I get a glass of tea, and I come back in I get ready to sit down, but now I'm looking at it from the side. I see something that looks very familiar to me. I pick this sketch up, and I said, if you stand, if you turn it over and stand it vertical, it's a hip toss in judo. It's, it's a perfect setup for a hip toss. Now, I was up at Bobby's house not too long ago, and I, we were going through some of this stuff, and I showed him this. Other than trying to bash what my I, head what off I the landscape there. <laughs> Yeah. Tell, tell him that, William. Try to bash my head off the lampshade, okay? Don't don't forget that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean a choke? What do you mean a chokehold? You know. <laughs> I was tapping out, but, and no uh, referee was around. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, yeah, that's a hip toss. So I put it down, 
and this this challenge is now for a couple of weeks. So I call some friends of mine, and we go down to the YMCA and get some mats out, and I try this out, and it works. Uh, <laughs> basically, what it is that if you've never seen the sugar hold, you're laying on your side, the person's behind you, but they're like uh, with your ribs, and they reach over and they wrap the arm around the back of your head with your arms and a grapevine the leg or arm bar in front of you, but Bob usually grapevine the leg. So I tested this with a couple of people, but I had to go pretty slow because the result of it was if you went fast with it, if you turned like I would, like I planned to rotate, you basically put their face into the mat. So if I went fast, I would basically bash somebody's face into the mat. But my goal was to try to get them over top of me so that I could get my legs out from under me. I could actually reverse the hole, and it worked. But the problem I had was is that nobody that I met with or I practiced with was as big as Bob Root. So I go down there the night of the challenge. No, let me go back a little bit. Um, I told my friends I was going to do this, and they knew they knew about it. And um, I got a friend named David Shaw that I told about this, and he said that dude's going to kill you. And <laughs> that's what I heard from a lot of people. But I told them, I said, look, I, I got to go in there and try this. I said, they're either I'm either going to win or they're going to carry me out on a stretcher. But I'm not giving up. I'm, I'm just going to do this. I'm not going to give up. So. so told my grandmother about it. She begged me not to do it. I told my grandfather about it. He said, you're not going to do that. And when I told my father about it, he absolutely forbid me from even going down there. So the night of the challenge comes up and I'm getting ready to leave. And my dad asked me where I'm going. And I said, I'm going to go down here and watch ICW. And he said, don't you get in the ring with that man? I said, okay, I won't get in. You know, how that worked out. But <laughs> But I go down there, and I go in, and I go up into the corner of the arena where uh, I'm by myself. But I, I see there's a cam. I look for the cameraman, and I'm sitting probably 50 feet away from the cameraman. And um, they start the show up, and there was about three or four matches before they finally got to the challenge. And every time they started a match, head down and put my, my hands together, like almost like in a prayer position, and just put my fingers on the bridge of my nose and I closed my eyes because I didn't want to see any of the matches leading up to the challenge because I didn't want anything else in my mind other than the vision of that sugar hold. So I could keep that, that mental image in my mind when I got in there with him. So it's getting way along in the show. And right before intermission, they finally announced, you know, we're going to do the sugar hold challenge. If you want to compete, come on down to the timekeeper's table and we'll get you signed up. There were four of us total to go down to this timekeeper's table and we're signing these releases and stuff. And, and, uh, there's three other guys in front of me, Bob and the referee come over to the side where we are and he's looking at us and he decides that he's going to take everybody by size. So that leaves me as the last person going in the ring because, uh, Bob, at the time, it's being six foot two and about 270 pounds. And me going in there, I was five foot seven and about 150 pounds. So 
Now, now, the William, first guy gets you. in there. William, William, can I interrupt you real sure. quickly? Uh, how old were you at this time, please? Tell the people how old you were. I was 19 years old. Okay, 19 years old. And um, the first guy that got in there, and I'll never forget this guy because he just had such a unique look. He was wearing this black silk shirt and these black blue jeans, and he had this Lyle Lovett-type hairdo. <laughs> and um, he got in there and he laid down, and Bob put the sugar on him. And the referee said go, and I mean in like three seconds, this guy's screaming bloody murder. <laughs> and he's just tapping like crazy. And Bob lets him go. And they bring the next guy in. He lasts about 10 seconds. And the third guy, I remember having a conversation with him. He was an Army guy, and he was the one I was worried about. He was a little bigger than I was, but he was pretty stout. And he got in there, and he made a pretty good go of it. He went about 15, 20 seconds before he finally tapped out. And I started going up the stairs, and I could hear this lady. The, the audience at this time, you know, they really rooted point, just kind of laughing now because, you know, nobody's making any kind of go of it. And I start going up the steps in the ring, and I could hear this lady behind me going, well, where is he going? <laughs> and I get in the ring. Don't even look the referee or Bob in the face because I'm looking at that tunic that he's wearing, the, the wrestling outfit he's wearing, because it's that USA, it's that Olympic wrestling outfit attire, and that just that just gets to me even to this day um, because I was just such a fan of, of the Olympics and everything. So I just walk over there. I don't even say anything to him. I just lay down on the mat, and I can hear Bob go, "Well, okay." So he gets down to hold on me. And my plan is I'm watching the referee's lips for when he's going to say go because I'm going between the G and the O because <laughs> I have to get that first move off. I have to get that first move off before Bob starts cinching that hold in. And I'm also going to mention this, too, is that um, I was just as flexible as a Gumby doll. I mean, I could just bend myself in ways that, that you wouldn't believe. Um so I'm watching the referee, and he says go. And, I mean, as soon as he says that, I just twist my body as hard as I could, and I brought Bob over and put him face first into the mat. And now I got him locked up in an off. Um, he didn't go all the way over, though. That was the problem. He's still about halfway across my back, and he's trying to get up, and I'm holding him down. And I've got my arm around his arm. My right arm's free, so I'm using it to kind of leverage myself up into him to keep him down. But since he didn't go all the way over, now i got to figure out how to get my legs out from underneath of him. So I don't know why I thought this, but the only thing that I could figure out was to do a one-arm with him on my back just to get him up far enough where I could start sli where I could slide my legs up or do like a little um, – kind of bunny hop thing to kind of unweight him to get my legs out. So while I'm doing this, I've also got the power to, to raise my neck up and see what's going on. And at this point, everybody's screaming. Everybody's up on their feet. I can hear everybody shout, you know, go, Bill, go, Bill. Where a minute ago, they were, you know, I went from a pro wrestling crowd to like an MMA crowd like that fast. So I start doing this, this one-arm push-up, and I get him all the way up. I get it all the way up, and I'm looking down toward my feet, and I'm trying to time this thing. 
but just like just like a millisecond before I'm going to do this, he grabs my left leg, flings me back around, trying to get me back to the starting position, except I went too far and I landed on my back. And as soon as I landed on my back, I kicked my legs up and I scissored his head. My my head is still cradled right arm and I'm basing my nose is like eight inches away from the right side of my knee so it's not a really comfortable position at all but it gives me leverage because at this point since I've got him scissor locked um, what I'm doing is I'm pushing backwards using that scissor lock for leverage so I'm also pulling his head away from his body in addition to like crushing his head at the same time and I keep pushing backwards and pushing backwards and I just close my eyes at this point because I'm seeing a lot of stuff going on outside the ring and I didn't need all the extraneous imagery and I could feel what he was doing anyway. So I just close my eyes and I've got my arms behind my head on his arm trying to pull it off and I'm going back and I'm going back and I could hear him saying to the referee, get this boy off me, he's killing me. And right as he did that, I pulled his arm off the back of my head. And now my head's free, and I roll him over to the side, and I release the scissor lock, and I basically put both feet in his chest and pushed him away. And I jump up to my feet, and the, the referee's still on the ground, Bob's still on the ground, and I turn around, and, you know, I'm loose now. I throw my arms up. I turn around and look at the audience. I throw my arms up, and I'm like, yes, I just did this. And as soon as I turn back around, the referee's now on his feet, and he's saying, no, 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 you didn't beat the time limit. It just goes crazy now. So now we get into this argument about this time limit because they never announced anything about it. And this is what about And that's what's weird is that I – and I'm deviating from the story just a little bit here. Bob and I did a CWF thing in Florida uh, last year. And we discussed this because he, he said it was like a point of rebuttal. Um, and I honestly believe this, that he was operating on the premise that there was a one-minute time limit because they did this at a couple of other venues. I was operating on the premise it was you either tap out or you just keep going. So it's just kind of amazing how it worked out like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, and I believe, him, I believe when he said there was a time limit. Yeah. Let me interrupt uh, again, William. Uh, this is fascinating, sure. but let me just, I want to say, uh, the word here, folks, is outlaw. ICW is known as their outlaw show in Kentucky um, back in the day because William's going to continue his story here. But they would do these shows and they had tremendous talent and they would draw anywhere between three to 500 people, just about anywhere they went, as far as I remember, because I went to shows in uh, Ashland and Paintsville, and I still see posters floating around on uh, social media where they've done Frankfurt or Lexington or the channel or the, you know, the cities they've done, William. But um, with uh, the Poffos, they was, uh, Angelo was the main owner. And they also had some people that had invested in it, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Is that correct? That they all, uh, several people yeah, had invested uh, into uh, that, correct? So it wasn't just uh, you're trying to win this $1,000 sugar hold challenge. And you've done it. You've escaped the hold. The place is going nuts. Everyone's seen you do it. And at that point, the referee says, no, you didn't. This is You did not beat the one-minute time limit. And that's where you're standing at in the middle of the ring. Is that correct? 
pretty yeah. safe to say about the about um, the uh, the ICW and the back in the day. Yeah, uh, Bob Bob Roop, Bob Orton, Rip, yeah. and Roddy Garvin all own ten ten percent. Okay, yeah, of the company, and I think Malenko owned a, a percentage as well, and I think Angelo owned about fifty percent of yeah. it. Yeah, um, okay. It may be different. That that's what I was told. Right. That, I've heard so the same it's, thing. It's costing them money out of their pocket. Yeah. That was my point. Yes, thank you. So we're now arguing about this in the ring. It's, it's me and Bob and the referee arguing about this thing in the ring. <laughs> and I don't know anything about the nefarious history of this hold. I just know what I saw on television and everything. But I'm arguing with – I said, if you don't think I beat this hold, then get your ass back down there and we'll do it again. <laughs> and he just got this look on his face like – <laughs> you really want to do this again? Now, now let me tell you, this is where it changes for me. And this was a really significant thing because Bob said, hold still for a minute. So I don't know what he's going to do. And he, he reaches up and he grabs my head and he's looking at my face. And he says, you've ruptured a bunch of blood vessels in your eye. And I didn't know this at the time. And my eye was just full of blood. It, it just seems like there was a tinge of red, but I didn't know what he was talking about. And but to me at that point it didn't matter. I wanted to get back down down there and do it again. He wouldn't let me do it. He wouldn't let me do it because he didn't want to see me get injured any further. And we argued about it a little bit more. And referee and he they decided that you know they'd had enough and they got out of the ring and they walked away. So you know to be fair, Bob helped me right there. I. Th- think if it had been anybody else, they probably would have got back down there and done it again. But, you know, you could tell that he was being a good guy about it. You know, I didn't think it at the time, but I'll say it now. Yeah. So they left the ring. The crowd is just going nuts. They're booing. I walk over to the ring ropes, and I'm just standing there staring at this entrance where they come out. I can hear somebody shouting my name, and I look down, and there's a guy I know from high school. His name's Steve Ott, and he's sitting in the front row with his girlfriend. And he said, Bill, what's going on? And I said, Steve, I don't think they're going to pay me. He said, well, go over there and grab the microphone. <laughs> Fantastic idea. <laughs> so I walk over to the – oh, wait a minute. I got ahead of myself here. Um, after Bob and um, the referee left the ring, I went over to the timekeeper's table, and I asked them. I said, was there a one-minute time limit? And there was this young man, young woman in there. And they both said yes. And um, I said, okay, well, if there was a time limit, then how are you keeping time? Because I don't see a watch on either one of you. There's no clock here. There's no visible clock in the arena. And I said, you don't even have a stop. So they don't say anything. They just look at each other for a second, and they get up, and they walk away. They just walk back (laughs) to the dressing room. That's when I went over to the side, and Steve told me, you know, go grab the mic. So I walked back over and I grab the mic off the table and turn this thing on and say I want my money now because now I'm mad I didn't go into this thing for the money but at this point uh, it was like if you're going to cheat me out of this you're going to pay me okay I'm coming after you guys it goes on for a while and I tell the audience I said look I got here to compete fair and square you guys got to pay me the crowd starts this chant pay him pay him pay him (laughs) Nothing happens for about five minutes. So I'm still standing there, and I'm going off, and 
this shadowy figure comes out of the dressing room and he's walking towards the ring and he gets about halfway up there and I recognize the guy. It's Bob Orton Jr. <laughs> and he gets up to the ring and he's standing at the ropes and he says, hey, boy, come here. Put the mic down. Come over here. So I put the mic down and I walk over there and I've got my hands on the second rope and my head's near the top rope. And I'm listening to him and he says, he said, Bob Roop's a good and it would best interest to forget about all this and just get out of the ring. Otherwise, I'm going to get in there and put you in a hole that makes your tongue suck your dick. <laughs> okay. Uh, the only thing I could think of at that point, I, I don't remember saying anything to him, but the only thing that I can think of at that point is just smack the crap out of him because I was angry. One thing I learned about this is that at that young age is that you can have different levels of angry and it just kept getting more and more intense as the night went on. So I just told him, I said, I'm not leaving the ring. And he just stares at me and then he just, he kind of walks away. But then he goes back there to the entrance and he's just standing there kind of taunting me like, you know, you want me to get in there? You want me to get in there? And I just, I picked the microphone up again and I want my money. You need to go back there and get somebody and, and, Bring me the money now. So a couple of minutes later, I saw he's still standing there. And then here comes somebody else. Um, apparently, they have decided to go on with the show. So this figure walking toward me is none other than Pistol Pez Watley. And he's carrying a pair of boxing gloves. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is unique. <laughs> And he gets in the ring, and he's, you know, he's he's taking his robe off, and he's he's putting these putting these boxing gloves on him. And I walk over and shake his hand, and I'm like, "Hey, William Harding, big fan. Hope you win." <laughs> and then here comes Rip Rogers, also with a pair of boxing gloves. And he gets in the ring, and I walk over to him and shake his hand, and like, "William Harding, big fan. Hope you win." <laughs> <laughs> and then here comes the, the That's like manager comes over here. With, yeah. It's, it's just all this surreal thing. I didn't really know what to do with them getting in the ring. So the arena manager comes over, and he's got two police officers. The manager says, you need to get out of the ring now because they're going to go on with the show. And I said, I'm not leaving until you pay me. I'm not getting out of this ring until you pay me. And the police officer says, either get out of the ring or we're going to arrest you right now. So I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, I get out of the ring. But instead of letting me go back to my seat, they escort me to the back and they lock me up in this office slash store, and they sit <laughs> here, and they close the door. And I'm like, what the hell? Am I being arrested or what? There's a phone behind me, so I pick up the phone, and I call my, my stepmom answers. And she's a court reporter, and I said, look, I'm down here at the arena. Uh, I need a police, I need a, a lawyer down here, like right and she told me what happened. And I said, I got in the ring with a guy. I won. They're not paying me. The police have got me locked up in the back. Uh, you need to get somebody down here now. And at that point, police officer burst in the room, put the phone. I said, I'm calling a lawyer. He said, put the damn phone down. <laughs> so I put it down. I said, I, I said, I'll call you back when I what's going on. And I hung the phone up. And he starts getting over on top of me about using the phone down there. So he shuts the door again, 
And just a few minutes later, the arena manager walks in and he says, I've talked to them. They don't feel like you broke the hold. They don't feel like they owe you any money. I think you just better let it go. And I said, I'm not letting it go. You better go back there and talk to them again. So he says, okay. And he goes back there and maybe about, I think it's about five, ten minutes later, he comes back. And he said, they just reiterated their position. They don't want to pay you. They, they think you didn't beat the time limit. And I, told, I said, there was no time limit. He said, well, he said, they did say that if you want, you're more than welcome to stay and watch the rest of the show. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, I did pay for a ticket. Uh, so I'm furious. And I walk out the door past the two police officers and give them a sour look. And I start walking back there. But before I left... There was a poster and a pencil laying there, and I asked the the arena manager if I could have one of those. And he said, sure. And I took it out there with me, and I looked for that first guy that was in the challenge. Um, Because what I'm going to do now is I'm going to get the first three guys, and I'm going to have them sign this sheet, and I'm just going to sue the ICW for this. Because, you know, I was thinking this is BS. I don't don't appreciate this. I I don't like being cheated. So I'm going to sue him. And I went and found the first guy, and I told him what I wanted to do, and he didn't want nothing to do with it. I mean, he was embarrassed enough about, you know, what Bob did to him in the first place. But the other three guys, the other two guys were fine with it, and they signed it. And then somebody asked me, somebody else asked me what was going on, and I told them that they signed it. And next thing I know, there's like 50 people around me signing this thing. There's just signatures all over this thing. And um, while I'm standing there getting this done, I can hear somebody and I look over, and it's the sheriff of Frankfurt. It's Sheriff Sam Harrod, who is a personal friend of my father, because when my dad worked on the police force, as I said before, you know they worked together as well. He said, "Are you Billy Harding's boy?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, tell me what's going on." And I started telling him. And I look around, and here come those two police, and they they get me, and they tell me now I'm going to be arrested for causing a disturbance, and they take me back there, and they put me back in that same room, and said, "You sit right here." So I'm sitting in this room just just waiting for the inevitable handcuffs and everything else. Sam Harrod comes in, and he said, tell me what, what went on. And I told him what was going on with all this stuff and, and what they had done to me afterwards. He said, you sit right here. I'll be right back. So it was about probably 15 minutes later. He comes back in the room, and he's got Angelo Poffo with him. And Angelo looks at me and says, all right. Tell me how we're going to settle. Will you take $250? And I, I just kind of shook my head and I dropped my head. And I was just, I just, I didn't want to hear it, you know. He said, how about 500? 500 is a good. I considered it for a second. And then I just told him, I said, look, after what you guys put me through tonight, I'm not leaving here with less than 1,000. And he just kind of stared at me for a minute. And he said, and he just kind of, ah, like that. And, and he left the room and Sam went with him. Sam said, just sit here. It'll be okay. So I'm in here for about another 10 minutes, and Sam comes in the room, and he says, follow me. So I go out with him, and the two police officers are there, and they're all escorting me back to the ring. And I could hear a bunch of booze coming from the auditorium, and as soon as I stepped out, it just changed to cheers. Everybody's just cheering now. And um, this is the part where I'm not sure if, if – Bob and the referee and Angelo were in the ring 
before me or after. But anyway, I get in the ring, and they're in the ring. It's Angel Apopho, Bob, Bob Roop, and the referee. I thought, okay, we're going to do this again. I thought, I thought for sure we were going to do the Sugar Hole Challenge again. And Angel takes the mic, and he starts talking to the audience, and he says, um, there's been a miscommunication about the time limit. And they said, in the interest of sportsmanship, we're going to go ahead and pay the boy. <laughs> and he hands me this check for $1,000. And I'm looking at the check, and just for a brief second, like I told Bobby the other day, just for a brief second, um, I'm looking at the check, and I'm, saying, I'm thinking to myself, where's that bag of silver dollars at? <laughs> and, yeah. So I thought the better part would just be to take the check and go, you know. Yeah. So – I, I shook Angelo's hand. I shook Bob's hand. I shook the referee's hand. I thanked everybody in the audience. And I got the hell out of the ring, and I started to head back for my car, um, started to get out of the ring. And everybody surrounded me trying to get out of the arena. They, they, you know, what happened? And I'm just trying to get out of there. And as soon as I get outside, there's these big, huge concrete planters outside. And there's like seven or eight people standing out there. I jump up on one of these things, and I just scream as loud as I can. And then I stop, and I realize that the way these guys were feeling about it, I better get the hell out of there. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just run to my and I, I just run to my car, and I'm trying to get my keys in my car, and, and it's just taking forever. And I That's finally get great, man. out of there. Yep. So, so now I'm yeah. feeling, you know, like oh, the world's monster, you know, everything's great. <laughs> but here's here's the problem, and here's something that I never mentioned before. Everything's fine, right? Wrong. Now I got to go home and face my father. <laughs> uh, uh, oh man, that's well, good. So man, I'm we, driving home. I don't want to cut you off too soon, man. But we got to we we do a little bit shorter uh, podcast into six oh five. So just kind of want to wind you back in here a little bit, <laughs> reel you in a little bit. So you're in the car heading home to see pops. Huh? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, this is. Yeah, this is quick. I get home, and I open the door, and I'm dreading what's going to happen, and my stepmother's there. And I said, where's Dad? And she says, he went to the arena to get you. <laughs> so now i got to sit here and wait on him to get home. And he walks in the door, and he's furious. He's screaming. Then he just stops for a second, for like five seconds. He looks at me and says, let me see the check. So... <laughs> I show him the check, and, and it turned into one of those stories that he used to tell his bar buddies, you know, because he was a bartender. And um, it just it turned into something really great for him. Yeah. But um, that's pretty much what happened that night. And, and the wild thing about it is it, it turned into this underground story unbeknownst to me, and it's been floating out there for years. Well, that's Because we question. talked about it for a couple of months in Frankfurt. Yeah, that's the question I have for you. It's, I have heard about this sort of thing happening, but like now all of a sudden people on the internet know who William Harding is. What was it like to kind of have internet fame show up out of nowhere for you? Bizarre. I mean, <laughs> the, the first the first thing that happened was that when I did the interview with Brian on the 605, he promoted on Jim Cornette's podcast, the Jim Cornette Experience. I think it was episode 168. And he got my name wrong. He called me William Holding. I guess that was like a Freudian slip about yeah, the sugar yeah, yeah. hole thing. Yeah. But, um, he started talking about it, and Jim Cornette, somebody told me Jim Cornette popped on this thing, and I didn't know what popped meant. I didn't know how Jim Cornette <laughs> reacted to it, so I went to listen to it. And um, Jim was like, 
where the did you find this guy? <laughs> and, and Brian said, you know, we got our arms tied everywhere. And and Jim says, you don't understand. This is a famous story. And my mouth just dropped to the floor. I'm Jim Cornette <laughs> knows his freaking story. This was the Dark House show. Oh man. Well, this is the sort of thing that goes on to. They never talked about it again. Yeah. Well, this is the sort of thing that goes on to live in infamy. But it's it's kind of like, like almost like an insider story because you know wrestlers were talking about this afterwards. Like, hey, maybe this throwing guys in holds for a thousand bucks shit ain't what it's cracked up to be. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that uh, Marty Goldman said that pretty much put an end. He said this pretty much put an end to Carney wrestling. Yeah. (laughs) I can absolutely see Um, that. Yeah, because Angelo was not happy, and um, well, you just made a guy. Jim Cornette said that it. Go ahead. I was going to say you just made a guy who calls himself the miser pay you a thousand bucks. <laughs> I was waiting for that name to come up between one of you two. I was going to have to bring it up. Yes, Angelo Poffo yeah. was the miser, so yeah. and he lived the gimmick. He lived the gimmick. Hey, uh, William, I don't want to run you short, but we yeah, only got I mean, a, we only got a couple minutes left. But uh, I really want to thank you for taking the time to come in here. Um, and of course, this show owes you a bigger debt than anybody out there listening knows. So I want to thank you for that as well. Is there anything you'd like to wrap up with in the last couple minutes? Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, I'm really appreciative of all the love that I've gotten over the last couple of years since this came out, and the emails, the emails and messages I've got from all over the world, and most especially to uh, Bobby, who I met down there at Comic Con, and he introduced me to Al Snow, he introduced me to Jim Cornette down there. And I've become, I think I've become really good friends with him over the last couple of years. And I just really enjoy the conversations. Yeah. And I love this show too. Oh, well, thank you. This is a great show and everybody should be thank listening. Thank you. Uh, thank and you, William. I appreciate that. I really that, appreciate man. you guys having me on. Yeah. Well, do I one really thing for me. appreciate you guys having me on. First yeah. guest. <laughs> thank, yeah. thank, thank you very much. Let me just do this. Uh, yes, we have become friends and I appreciate that as Jeremy and I have. Um, and here's the thing. Just let the people out there know on the bell to bell podcast, let the people know where they can reach you at. I know you're on Twitter. Uh, you know, I know you got some other, maybe some other social media. Let the people know how they can find William Harding if you don't care. Or is that William Holding? <laughs> no, let, let everyone no. know where we can find you at, my friend. <laughs> let everyone know where you're at. Yeah, on Twitter. Twitter, I'm uh, at uh, W Harding KY, and you can find it pretty easy. It's an open profile, and on YouTube, my channel is WDH WDHJKY. Um, okay. Easy to find. Lots of shirts out there. Um, this is a great podcast, folks. Listen to it. I listen to Thank it every you. week. And thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me on, and honored that I'm the first most. <laughs> no, we do appreciate it, sir. Thank yes. you. Well, Bobby, you got anything you want to wrap up with? No, thank you very much, there, William. Appreciate it. Hopefully, I'll talk to you soon, Jeremy. You know, I, this is our first interview, and uh, you know, we had a good one to come on. I appreciate that. And uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, man, I appreciate you. And uh, let's just keep on, man. We're just keep on knocking these podcasts out. We're having fun with it. And we're starting yep. to make some headway. You know, the uh, Twitter page is doing good. The YouTube page is doing good. But just uh, just keep telling. If you're listening for the first time, we hope you enjoyed it. And tell a friend about it. And always use the hashtag if you want to, BBBB. 
and uh, we'll be coming out with more and more top 10 lists and having more fun. And you might hear a rant or two here in the future. You never damn know. Yep. But the main thing is, thank you very much. And uh, fans, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you. Our numbers keep going up. We've been having a great time doing this podcast. So thank you. Indeed, indeed, and I just want to, you know, guys. William is on the road, so occasionally his mic was dropping out. Um, so sorry yeah. for any any fuzz or anything you get in this episode. But um, you know, as usual, it's been our pleasure to have you listen, but it's been your pleasure to do the listening. Bye, bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. You can follow the show on Twitter at Bell to Bell Blaze. You can also follow Bobby on Twitter at BobbyBlaze744 and Jeremy on Twitter at TheGeekishCast. To purchase one of Bobby's books, you can visit tinyurl.com slash blazebook1 to purchase Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boots, Will Travel. And you can visit tinyurl.com slash blazebook2 to get I Kicked Out on 2, The Education of a Wrestler. To donate to the show's podcast hosting fees, you can visit gofundme.com slash bell-to-bell podcast hosting fees. Be sure to include a hyphen in every word in bell-to-bell podcast hosting fees. If you follow and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. Be sure to share the show with any wrestling fan you may know and get on the Facebook page where you can keep up with bell-to-bell fans just like you. Again, thanks for listening to the program and look for the show again next time.